Music, dance, theater. It's time to take a seat on the aisle with Tom Alvarez. Hear from performers, producers, presenters, and creators who enrich our lives in the performing arts. Who's on stage? Here is Tom Alvarez to introduce you. Welcome, and thanks for listening to this edition On the Aisle with yours truly, Tom Alvarez. The theme music you are hearing was composed by by Klein and Alvarez Productions collaborator, Dustin Klein, a pianist who also plays it. Dustin, a composer educator, is music director of Magic Thread Cabaret, for which we co-produce shows. The music is from our original Calder the Musical, which we co-created and which premiered in Indianapolis in 2017 and was recorded in Hit City by Timothy Brickley, who is a producer, composer, band leader, and singer. Finally, the announcer is Claudia Pauly, a Juilliard-trained opera singer who is also a broadcaster and on the air in Indy on WNTS and WTLC and nationally on NPR and NBC Sports. Thanks to all three talented artists for their contributions to this program. Today, my guests are playwright, director, and producer Casey Ross, who is artistic director and co-founder of Catalyst Repertory Theater, and Chris Saunders, director, actor, producer, who is also artistic director and co-founder of American Lives Theater. Both theater companies are Indianapolis grassroots organizations. Let's now join my conversation with these two innovative and maverick artists. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You guys, I am so thrilled. You are my second guest, my first, (laughs) quote, local guest, because, you know, I want to do a mix of both national and local artists, I think. You know, showcasing local artists is, you know, part of my mission with doing this podcast. I want to educate the world about what's uh, available in Indianapolis. And, you know, I'm going to do music, theater and dance. And Mm -hmm. who better, who better to uh, kick off uh, my discussions of theater, but you two. So. Thank you. Both of you, I've told you both that um, 
I consider you to be descendants of the late Brian Fonseca, the founder of the Phoenix Theater, a good friend of mine. And, you know, I helped him. I was one of the original board members of the Phoenix Theater. And I have watched the two of you from afar. And, you know, we've had a lot of interactions. But please tell me about, first of all, both of you tell me about your theater and your mission. Let's start with Casey. Sure. Um, So my name is Casey Ross. I run a production company called Catalyst Repertory locally. Um, Repertory is in the title because we do tend to stick with like a close-knit company of actors locally and designers that we like to feature while also kind of expanding to other community members. And we focus on new work or rarely staged work that you don't necessarily get a chance to see in the Midwest. Um, So our mission is if we do a big classic to adapt it in some new and exciting way to bring kind of a black boxy Steppenwolf experience to Indianapolis downtown. And how about you, Chris? Tell me about your company. Sure. Hi. Um, So I'm the founding artistic director of American Lives Theater. And sort of like the name suggests, we try to find work that reflects what is happening in American life right now from a variety of perspectives. And usually that results in new work uh, that's never been done in Indianapolis. But uh, we we try to keep it open. Uh, So, for example, we did just kind of go off off the page and, and do a William Inge play from the 60s. <laughs> but uh, but generally, yeah, we, we also, just like Casey, we do uh, very, very new work, either premieres or, you know, new, new to Indiana. Uh, tell me, uh, how and why did you fo- found your theaters or your organizations, Casey? Um, I mean, not to not to sound selfish, but I'm also a playwright. And there are companies that do focus on new work in indie. But I mean, I think in the hazard of the trade of running your own company, you tend to produce your own work because you're not going to charge yourself rights and you got to start at home to support yourself with new work. So I started it as a means to an end to produce stuff through Fringe Festival a little bit more meaningfully and have a a company name that wasn't just my name because I didn't feel like the work that we were doing was just reflective of me. I had business partners. And so it was time to um, structure things in a way where I was able to have an umbrella that could provide artists a place to make stuff and to do new work, not just myself. So it kind of just grew from a means to an end. And I found out that I really liked producing work. I really liked directing work and I liked giving people opportunity to do their stuff as well. So I found a passion in being a means to an end to myself. (laughs) How about you, Chris? You know, I worked with Brian some uh, before I moved other places and uh, I really it informed how I viewed art and theater and what I wanted to just uh, just for fun, what I wanted to see, you know, uh, on a Friday night or whatever. So I uh, when I was in other cities, living in other cities, primarily New York or Chicago, I just found myself seeing all these plays that I wanted Indianapolis to see. And so I would send them to Brian or, or whomever, and sometimes they would get done. But uh I guess that's what started because I was primarily an actor and I love acting, but you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of things that aren't related to, to why you go into acting in, in, in the career of being an actor, you know, especially when you get to like commercial auditions and that sort of thing. And I just had a realization when I was in Chicago that I'd rather be producing all those plays that I was hoping someone would produce in my hometown. 
Mm -hmm. Speaking of acting, I saw you first laid eyes on you and you played um, Stanley in a production oh. of A Streetcar <laughs> Named Desire, which Casey and I have a connection to. We'll talk about that later. But um, uh, so uh, as far as acting, we'll, we'll get into that later as well. But uh, uh, Casey, uh, describe your organization's history thus far. Sure. Um, so when I was still in college, I actually got um, a Dr. Tom Evans Emerging Arts Scholarship. I don't know if anyone at the table knows um, Tom Evans. He was a professor at Hanover College, and he runs um, several regional theaters and has kind of a, a directing name to himself. Um, and he gave me this grant for the play I had written, Gallery, to produce it at the Fringe Festival because the year before I left for college, I had attended my first Fringe because I did some marketing and design work for a production. And I fell in love with this concept of new festival theater and the fact that you can have a 60-minute show that you build in 10 minutes. You got to tear it down and put it in the back of your truck and it was just so exciting to me that there was that much art on Mass Ave for that 10 days so I got really obsessed with producing fringe work so when I got that first grant that was my first festival in 2007 and I did a festival pretty much every year until like 2013 when I met Dave Pelsu who became kind of my partner in crime and catalyst because we just had the same ideas about what we wanted to see in Indy. We liked each other's work. We wrote well together, and it just kind of grew from there. The next year, we met Taylor Cox, and then I was like, here's the repertory company that I've always wanted to start in Indianapolis, because that was always kind of in the back burner of my head of like, man, I would really like an old-school troupe of actors where we're close enough to do kind of those gritty, intimate, hard shows. I mean, we've done Equus, The Pillow Man, Streetcar. I mean, stuff that has difficult subject matter, I think, requires a certain amount of comfort with your team. And that's why the repertory structure was kind of important to me. So it kind of just grew from the art family building as time went on. How about you, Chris? Tell me about the history of ATL. Um, so American Life Theater, uh, we, you actually were my first interview, so thank you for that, in 2019 when it was just getting started. And around that time, I was literally going onto Amazon, buying books that said, how do you start a theater company? <laughs> you know, going, to, yeah, going to YouTube and, and figuring out how to fill out the, the 501c3 forms, that sort of thing. So um, I, I cobbled a board together of friends, people who owed me favors, and people who I waited on as a bartender. Uh -huh. and, um, and you just sort of figure it out. I mean, Casey knows that, of course. And, <laughs> and, and you know that from the early, early Phoenix days. You just figure it out on the way. And that's... Um, the difficulty, but also the pride of it, you know, just looking back over just a few years and seeing how much more you know, how many mistakes you've made and, and, and where you are comparatively. Uh, what is your estimation of each other? I'm curious. Chris, what do you think about Casey and her work? It's funny that you asked that today because um, I'm filling out a bunch of grant forms. <laughs> and so tell about, excuse me, tell our audience, uh, tell my audience. Uh, what is it that you do for your side hustle? 
So my my day job, I love that you call it side hustle. Uh, my day job is uh, I'm the grants manager at Phoenix Theater. And so uh, in this case, I'm, I'm doing double duty on, on the grants deadlines for, you know, American Life Theater and Phoenix, which are very different companies. Yeah. And uh, they often ask you to sort of explain how you are unique and how, and how your company is different. And I always you know, come back to, uh, you know, Catalyst as, far as as well as maybe just a couple other, you know, smaller companies, uh, grassroots sort of companies like myself that do contemporary work. So I think that Casey stays true to her aesthetic. And, um, and I don't think there's any shame whatsoever, much more the opposite of you producing your own work. I mean, you, you should do it. And, and I, I also admire, you know, having put myself into a hole of, of sort of like contemporary theater that, that relates to America right now, which seems broad, but actually is, is, is a little, a little more narrow than you might think. I love it, but I also realize all the things that don't fit into it. For example, I just directed Hedda Gabler, which I would not do for American Lives Theater. It was incredible. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's so very good. nice. Of you. Um, so, so anyway, I, I, I admire, um, the, the tenacity and the ability that Casey has to, uh, to produce what's moving her at the moment. I mean, that is the beauty of a small company. You know, you know, you struggle, but you get it. You get to be true to yourself. Two questions for you before we go on to Casey and ask her about uh, the question I asked you. So what do you say to those people say, isn't that a conflict of interest that you're working for the Phoenix and yet you produce there as well as ATL? So uh I asked that same question when I interviewed for the position, and because the Phoenix is leaning so much into the resident companies that are housed in that in that building right now, it is it is very beautifully and very genuinely not a conflict of interest. It is exactly the opposite. They would like, you know, those companies to be more involved in the overall mission of of the building and the and the larger mission mm -hmm. that essentially is very similar to what Brian brought as mm -hmm. far as the diversity that's being represented. It is his vision. Do you agree? Yes, because he was very into community and, and, and very into diversity long before it was being talked about on a larger scale, long before. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's nice to be a part of that. And since you played Stanley Kowalski, what did you think of Ms. Ross's uh, interpretation of... Well, first of all, play. was it Ian that played Stanley? Yeah, I thought he was great. Um, uh, I thought there were I thought there were a ton of strong performances in that. I th it was unlike any I'd ever seen, which I think is what you wanted. And I think it, it was actually in the same space, and it looked it so different <laughs> from from the one that we did, which is really what you want when you I was when actually you worried about that because I saw the production that you were in in Fringe and like <laughs> that's just one of my favorite rooms to do theater in. and I was like do I really want to do a second production mm -hmm. of Streetcar after one that was so notable in yeah. Indianapolis in the same room it's yeah. such a challenge because you know you're not going to get that sort of iconic balcony whatever moment or not balcony it's not a balcony what is it called um, oh the upstairs downstairs yeah yeah, yeah. yeah um, but, uh, uh, but 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 no I mean you were very creative certainly with your design and I think that's also something Casey's known for and I have to say that Casey triumphed by doing a revival of something that hadn't been done since the one you were on yeah unless it's sort of I'm, funny yeah. unless I'm wrong is that I true I don't think so I don't think that is wrong okay. yeah I mean it's rarely produced because it's a lot and we'll get into that later but <laughs> so Casey tell me what your thoughts are about Chris and his work um so I'm kind of thrilled to be at the table because I, um, I've looked up to Chris, I've looked up to yourself in the Indianapolis area, and I certainly looked up to Brian, who was also mentioned. 
And so for me, um, being coming out of high school, um, I went to Cathedral High School and then going right into college and having and Michael my, Moffat was one of your teachers. He was. Talk about that for just a second. <laughs> Which is wild, yeah. Because <laughs> everybody says Michael Moffat. And I'm like, that's Mr. Moffat. I can't do that. <laughs> for, for those who don't know Michael, he is the technical director for Cathedral High School. What is yes. his title? Yeah. He's and he's also director. a brilliant lighting designer and, and set designer for Summer Stock Stage and I believe Eclipse, Emily Ristine <laughs> Holloway's company. So go One on. of the only other professional um, theater people in the city I can think of that mm-hmm. has a Starmite credit on the resume as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there you go. <laughs> so you were saying? Yeah. Um, so I, I looked up to these other companies that I would go around, um, kind of like the experience you were having in Chicago and New York and see these shows that either you wanted to do or you wanted to bring to a different audience. I, I have kind of a, a mission with Catalyst that theater should be approachable and, and kind of a little bit more in your face than the big proscenium and, and distance between audience and actors. So I really like intimate stuff. So seeing these big productions that I kind of, I guess, lusted after in the city and now being able to interact with you both with uh, people mm-hmm. like Brian, with, um, you know, people that do work at the Phoenix Theater. It's really cool. Um, and it's a testament, I think, to your your kindness, both of you, your openness. Um, I think that your theater is approachable. I think even though um, you guys quickly, you know, went into the Phoenix and you went into larger spaces, you've still done a really great job of featuring local artists and stuff that they wouldn't get to do locally. Mm, and I think that's important to keep our artists here in Indiana and not have people going to Chicago to get work, not have people going to New York to get work. Um, we need, we need the grassroots companies mm. that, that give people good opportunities. So, I mean, I've, I know you said you were going through books, uh, how to start a theater company. I was looking to people who had already started those theater <laughs> companies and doing the same thing. So I was kind of in a way following in, and people that I looked up to use footsteps. So it's um, really cool to be involved more meaningfully in the scene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I, as I continue this podcast, you know, as people come to know me, people who aren't aware of, of, of my coverage for the last 40 plus years, which I'm very proud of, uh, you know, I, I want to be perfectly transparent. And I love the fact that most of the people I cover have become friends or at least strong acquaintances. And, you know, because I travel everywhere, I get to know everybody and I make it my business because that's my purpose. But having said that, again, to be perfectly transparent, Casey, you and I've had many talks and I've been you're still not there and you've got to work on it. You're an equal. I consider you an equal. <laughs> and I think it's time for you to put on those big girl pants and own working on that it, working you're on like it. Yeah. just really talented and gifted, and we'll get into your playwriting later. But let's uh, let's talk, let's move on. So, tell me about what both of you are currently wa- working on. Of course, I saw your your newest creation. So let's talk about that, and then and uh, tell me uh, tell me what you're doing. So uh, we are running uh, the minutes by Tracy Letts, the Indiana premiere of this uh, really funny, really unique, um, surprising. Uh, play that's very, very much about American life right now. That's for sure. <laughs> and um, you know, prior why to- is that? Tell tell us why. Put well, it in context. What's an American life? So it's it's okay. That's a great question. It's a lot of things. Uh, 
just to rewind a little bit because it's relevant, our season opener this year was uh, focused on two dreamers. Uh, to, to people who grew up, uh, in, in the States and, uh, and, and were still considered illegal immigrants. And it was, uh, a, a beautiful play and I was very proud to bring it here. And it brought amazing conversations at Phoenix from those actually living that life here in Indianapolis. And so, so for us, we, we try to, tell a story that's not a lecture about um, about what what it is to live in America right now from different perspectives. So that was one. And so the minutes is um, it's a play that takes place entirely in a town council meeting uh, in a fictitious American town. And what begins as, you know, uh, almost sitcomish uh, uh, humor about you know the 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 petty grievances a la the office uh, it it does have an office vibe to it yeah yeah quirky characters that you're sort of like laughing at slash with and and there's an undercurrent of i don't know uh uh, something sinister and and then it is uh revealed what it is and what it is without giving away too much is um it's an american truth that we all uh actively try to avoid and i have to say that i reviewed it on though i don't give out stars i i think that i that i uh indicated that uh it was filled with surprises mm-hmm. and uh i i came away again your mission uh it's i'm so i i know as a reviewer that i am so pleased to see your work because it gives me constantly gives me perspectives and it's interesting as you know chris Oftentimes, I have personal experiences related to you. Yes, you do often. That's true. To, to your work and what you surprising selected. ones, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, your heroes of the fourth turning. You know, <laughs> it's tell, a great example. Tell yeah. our listeners about what I concluded about all that. Yeah, that was probably the most shocking <laughs> um, um, thing that you told as far as a personal uh, connection, because that took place in Wyoming at a very small evangelical college. Uh, in which is it's your nephew, right? Mm-hmm. Actually attended that very college, mm-hmm. and 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 just very briefly, uh, you, you know, us giving voice to 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 those characters. Uh, some people um, among our our sort our you know typically liberal audiences were were frustrated at having to hear some of the things that came out mm-hmm. of their mouths. But for me, uh, it's a question of well, we're all living in the same place, so maybe we should know what other people are thinking, you know, and that's why I just, I just want to be very careful about it not being a, a, a chamber echo sort of situation where we just pat ourselves on the back or, or, you know, or preaching. Yeah. Preaching the choir type situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yes, I was, uh, proud of that show, proud to bring it to Indy and really surprised that you had that close of a connection to it. This is bizarre. <laughs> yeah. This is bizarre. Casey, tell me about what you're working on. Um, so we are working on a new version of a play that I wrote actually called Bat in the Wind or a recent study on depression and addiction. And it is just that. It is a two character show um, where the characters are connected by a single wall of a duplex they share here in the Midwest. And it kind of focuses on addiction in all forms, um, be that addiction to your art form or your life's mission or just downright addiction and how we are more similar with um, that part of society that we would like to avoid than we might think we are. Um, And so it was 
well-received at Fringe. I was about to say successful, but I stopped myself because not a ton of people saw it in a festival setting. It's a difficult play. Um, it's dramatic. It's dark. And I think when you're at Fringe Festival at the beer tent, you want to see something kind of funny and you want to see um, something maybe easier on a summer afternoon. It's not like a one o'clock in the summer kind of show. Um, Just to interject, I agree with you. And that play was excellent. Thank it you. It was excellent. Um, you so know, we... it's a tricky thing about, <laughs> about depicting uh, uh, alcoholism. And drug addiction, because in some ways, what are people laughing at? The stereotype? Or is it sort of a nervous laughter about it makes them uncomfortable because it's tragic and yeah. in, in reality? So the way you you posed it is that, you know, uh, it, it was interesting. And, and again, I reviewed it and yeah. came away. I thought it was extremely thought-provoking, as is all your work. I hope people know both of them. Mm-hmm. I certainly know both of them. I've certainly been both of them. How is it? Uh, tell me, if as much as you'd like to, about it's loosely based on your own life, it or is. an incident, or incident. Yeah, um, I I lived in a duplex. I have been an artist my whole existence. Um, I have worked side hustles or day jobs to make it work. And the play follows a particularly dark section in my life where I was, you know, pretty much self-medicating to function because I was not in a good spot and I wasn't making enough money to keep my utilities on, but I was still trying to start a theater company. And that's kind of a, a plot point in, in the play. And so I held on to it for a really long time because Randy, the the drunk neighbor in the play, he is quite real. He was my neighbor and we had a very similar relationship, um, symbiotic and sharing power and also kind of maybe leeching off of each other a little bit. And so it's not a pretty play and it wasn't a pretty section of my life. So I think I held on to it for so long until I knew I had the distance from it and the ability to maybe tell it as a story and not have it be so embarrassing or personal and be able to own that again in my life and be able to name what was going on that kind of put me in that situation. Because, I mean, I've had so many people like, well, we don't, we don't believe you didn't really live like that. And I'm like, oh, believe me. I was like, you can ask some of my closer friends. Like, I didn't have power. I auditioned people on my porch. The power cord is a central prop in the it show, is. is it not? It has it's to be an spoiled, orange extension cord. It is. Yeah. Oh, it is. Very much. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, it was it was scary. But I f- I also kind of took away from it that the reception to it and people saying, I know these guys and I understand how this happens has been really healing. Um, and it's been really freeing as well to kind of take that year of my life back and make it into some art. Because, I mean, after all, that's what Taylor's trying to do the whole play. And, you know, I was just one of a chorus of people said, oh, 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 Casey, you need to make this longer. You need to expand <laughs> it. And I, I know when I first brought that up to you, you seemed to kind of push back on that. I did. And then when I heard that you were, it was becoming a full length play, oh, I was just at the top of the list of those who were terribly excited. So tell us about the, 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 the version that's coming up. Yeah. Um, I pushed back because I I really liked what we made at Fringe. Despite, you know, low audience numbers, I was like, this was what I wanted it to be. It's out of my hair and I can be done with it. Um, 
but then the more I thought about it and the more I heard people's reaction to it, I wanted the longevity of their friendship to be more present in the play. And I wanted to get to maybe see without giving it away, see the, um, what Taylor will be taking away from Randy to, to get to the end of the play. And so I have put a couple scenes, basically the best way I can describe it is in the middle of the show. So we get to see them meet and they exchange the, the power cord, the essential prop. But then there's, there's some work in the middle now that's going to take us from a 60 minute show to closer to, um, it was about 95 minutes mm-hmm. last night. So we're not going to do an intermission. It's still going to be kind of, sit with us but I think it's just um, it's slower and it gives us more opportunity to get to know these guys which I think is important because the end pays off a little bit more the more that you truly come to care about them and who did you cast I cast Matt Craft again um, who made your Indiana luminaries artist lists I was so proud of him we worked with him at um, well you Street both Car. you yeah. both of you were on my uh, the luminary list <laughs> thank you for that thank oh, you my, yeah. it was my great pleasure and honor to showcase the two of you so go on and then um, it's a two-man show and so originally um, in our friend version it was uh, my partner was with Catalyst Dave Pelsu, but his wife just had their second baby, not just, but recently, so he wasn't coming shout back. Shout out to David. Yeah, shout of my out to Dave. Actors. <laughs> um, and so my friend Dane Rogers, who actually, oddly enough, introduced me to Dave to replace oh. him in a show that he thought he was um, not appropriate for that I offered to him. He oh, introduced wow. me to Dave, and now Dane is coming to replace a role that Dave had to leave. So I, I had to tell Dave about that. I I was like, hey, guess what? It's full circle. Um, so I'm really excited that Dane's going to be stepping in. I got to hear it last night. We did a read through and it's a different show. Um, but and when does it uh, tell me uh, tell me uh, when it opens, when it closes, March, where can people get tickets, so on and so forth? Uh, March 1st through 17th. Tickets are on IndieFringe.org, and you have to go to the all shows because we're still, you know, a month out. So there's some stuff coming at the Fringe before us because they're not exactly the Phoenix model, but they're mm-hmm. they're doing a similar idea with resident companies and mm-hmm. um, the spotlight season. Mm-hmm. So that's where Catalyst is going to be producing our work this year is um, part of the spotlight season. So several local companies will be bringing some cool stuff to Fringe. And I have written uh, about both of you and your, your, your talent for casting. So let's talk about actors. Um, and, and, and as Casey mentioned, you know, this isn't about me, but I am very, uh, I'm, I'm very happy that Casey convinced me to return to the stage after I, I was telling everybody it was 30 years but like you know I'm dotty I'm getting dotty and actually it was only 20 years because I forgotten I was in a last play I did was with uh, our beloved late uh, Ron Spencer oh. he he directed uh, Mr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde or Dr. Hyde Mr. what is it Mr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde yeah yes <laughs> And, and so that's the last show I did. And I was in Streetcar Named Desire. Talk about Streetcar and how special that I mean, it was special to me. Tell yeah. me about your perspective. So I, I went to Hanover College. And one of my major professors, who was actually my playwriting mentor, was also a Tennessee Williams scholar. And so I got this sort of... Um, 
I guess, interesting education that really shaped my career. I think I kind of figured out who I was as an artist in college. So I have one foot in, you know, this classical theater, um, not the streetcars classical, it's, you know, great American theater, but like older, older stuff, the big classics, but also this interest in new work. And so I had reread Streetcar recently because um, my my partner, uh, Dave, I was trying to think of good roles for him since I run a repertory. I typically tend to pick shows that structure to a certain actor that I'm looking to feature. And so I was like, you got to play Stanley before you're too old to do it. And I mean, he was already getting there. And so, and I mean, he's not going to mind that I said that, but he, he won't, but because uh, he was kind of like, really? You sure? Um, and it, you know, it just, it didn't work out, but then I had already like, you know, purchased the rights to the show and I was gung ho. Cause like when I say I'm going to do something, I almost kind of get tunnel vision to a fault. And I was like, all right, he can't do it. We're just going to do streetcar. And it opened me up to not think about like how to make this Dave's streetcar or how to make this like the actors who I'm looking at streetcar. But why do I want to do streetcar? And I think that sometimes when plays get into this status of being so iconic, they lose a little bit of their bite. And so I was like streetcar in people's laps to really show the deplorableness of what these people are doing to each other, even though it's pretty language, even though it's a beautiful story, even though the the film is so revered, really sit down with the story. It's, it's similar to like the American lives model of like, you know, this is, this is how people are. And so mm-hmm. having them in our laps and, and uh, being able to kind of shine a light on them. And is you good. know, from the actor's perspective, being in there, being on stage in my small role as, um, I'm blanking on his name. It was so small. Pablo. <laughs> Pablo. And by the way, I don't have, obviously I don't have a, a, uh, uh, Latino or Spanish accent, or uh, so I used my mother and father Raúl y Feliz. So as a piece of my acting training, but anyway. <laughs> um, but you know, I, every night I I just you know um, I couldn't help because they were all we were surrounded by audience and the shock on their faces. They were like yep. deers in a headlight. They like you know were so drawn into that story and that you heard them like <gasps> gasps, lots of ga- gasped theater. I think maybe in a podcast <laughs> setting we should mention that. Originally, the thought with the production was to do it in the round. Right. And um, when we got to Tech Week and we had this monolith of a two-story set in this very, very small 90-seat theater, um, pushing the poor theater to its technical capacity I did in 2023. But... um, the set was in the center and we wanted audience on all four sides so that you could see it multiple times and get different views of the glass house. Um, and you're looking through different rooms. So maybe if you're in the back end of the show, you're seeing the bathroom and what's going on with Blanche over there, or you can be by the poker game and you can see what's going on with the poker guys over here, um, or in the bedroom. We adjusted a little. It was in, I'm calling it the semi round because we did go around the back end quite a bit, but we pulled some chairs. Give a shout out to the designer. Oh, Nick Kilgore. I think if you don't have your eye on this kid as a designer in the city, um, you're not doing your due diligence to research your mm-hmm. local theater artist because incredibly talented. We had one meeting over coffee. I kind of just briefly mm-hmm. described this idea of a glass house and he came to me with just brilliant set design. You know, another way you both are similar to our, our beloved Brian, beloved Brian, is your gift for finding the right designers. And tell me about the designers of your current show. 
uh, Chris? So um, a couple of them I've worked together, a few of them I've worked together before. Uh, there's I'll start with sound, actually. Oh, no, I'm confused. I, I have to tell you, I just closed I Natural Affection. <laughs> I don't And then we started you. with the minutes like four days later and opened after it closed. And so I keep confusing the two shows. That um, was behemoth. You know, the I, whole process of yes. closing one show and opening another. <laughs> it was, I, I don't recommend it, but, you know, it worked yeah, out. Yeah. Um, Only you could pull it off. <laughs> well, it was, it, it remains to be seen, but I, I do yeah. feel good about it. I feel good about both shows. And uh, we are fortunate to be working with Zach Hunter, who is also the, um, I don't know if technical director is his title. I forget what his title is, but uh, uh, at, at Phoenix Theater Cultural Center. So that, you know, checks off so many boxes as far as I can go to him with a lot of the same questions. Mm-hmm. And and he's designed so much in that space, which is, is wonderful because that's the first time I've been in that mm-hmm. particular theater at, at Phoenix. Uh, that stage. And, um, and then, you know, I, you just mentioned in your review the other day, uh, Tony Cirque and Tim Dick. I mean, they, they both work around town all the time. Those all the guys time. Tim are brilliant. And amazing. I don't throw that word around, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah. they, I put them in that category. We're really lucky to have those two in the smart. Oh, so yeah. lucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. So I started to talk about actors and what I meant <laughs> is not to dish actors anyway, because I am one. Right. <laughs> so or I was. But um, in that regard, how do you what's your audition process? What are you looking for when you when you choose actors? Both of you, Casey, <clears throat> um, I, I remember each audition of like the formative members of my career, I guess. Cause again, like having that repertory structure, Dane being the first actor, actually the, um, who's now going to be taking over Randy and bat. Um, he came in and I'm, I'm typically looking for if I believe you and I, I don't want theater acting where it's like very close and I can almost reach out and touch you to be, um, kind of as distant as like the old Vivian Lee era of film acting where everything is is airing towards melodramatic. It worked in its time, but I think again if we're trying to center these stories, I want an actor that I really believe. Are you uh did you study Stanislavski? I did. Okay. Um and and so Meisner as well. your work at school? Yeah, for okay. sure. And yeah. I mean I I also I I have not professionally around Indianapolis done a lot of acting work, but I do come from an acting background. I actually I before know. I discovered you used to be in commercials. I used to be in a lot of commercials. <laughs> I had a the kid commercial star. kid thing. <laughs> but I I did get my scholarship into college for acting oddly enough mm-hmm. um and acted all through college and it was when I wrote my first play that my professor sat me down and they're like hey so you're not bad at acting but this is what you do so you know it kind of just changed the trajectory but you know I think that has kind of morphed me into maybe more of an actor's director because I think well in that regard Chris I'm going to get back to that but Chris tell me about how you choose your actors what's your what is your MO I want things to matter a lot and deeply um, so I, I guess when I'm watching someone, uh, we can have different interpretations of the script. I mean, that's, you know, that's a discussion that's directable. That's a lot of things. So I, I don't care so much if an actor comes in doing something off the wall that I would not have, you know, anticipated. I, I like interesting choices that what I want to see is that, is that it matters deeply because that's the, that's the kind of theater that I want to do is where the, the, the stakes yeah are important and 
So, um, so that's what I want to see, I guess, most in an audition. You know, from my perspective, and I've said it to both of you, and I've said it in my writings about both of you, is that, um, you know, you're, you, are, you have developed a reputation among actors who come to your shows. That's a really good sign for me as a reviewer. Whenever I come to both of your shows, I see a lot of actors who I really respect. That says a lot about actors' choices of what kind of theater they want to see. Many of them, you know, tickets, you know, tickets are expensive, you know, and sure. most artists have to budget those things into, you know, Absolutely. But, you know, it's important to see it work, you know, and to also, you know, uh, many of the people that I've seen in audiences have ended up in your shows. Okay? <laughs> so, but having said that, so you, you become, a, you, you are, you are director's becoming known as directors that actors and the material that you choose is the kind of work that actors want to do and and do you agree with that uh yes i i i feel very very fortunate to to be able to have been able to bring the plays that i've brought to indianapolis because they're great plays and frankly, larger companies should be doing them. Right. Um, so, so yes, I, I think a lot of it, I, I'm not trying to, to th thank no, you for the compliment, I, I, but I think a lot of it's the work. Is, I'm sure you get, I'm sure you've heard this before though, not just from me about actors being drawn to your productions. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. Which is certainly beneficial when you're trying to do this difficult work. I internalize it just as a, as a playwright because not that Catalyst only does my work. We do streetcars or like we just did an adaptation of a musical. Mm -hmm. um, but we do a lot of my stuff. And so it's always kind of a, a sit back and smell the roses moment for me that these actors want to do my stuff. Um, cause I mean, these are people that I go to see shows that, you know, they're in and mm -hmm. if they're there doing my work, I take my own work a little bit more mm -hmm. seriously because it centers me of like, here's Matt and Dane and they're doing a very serious reading of what you, um, you wrote and they're going to mm -hmm. be working on this for the next two months of their lives, memorizing it. So it, it puts you in good perspective to make your best art if you're making with people that you truly vibe with and, and respect and that push you to mm -hmm. be better. You know, uh, part of my goal with this podcast is to not only showcase performers and uh, those who create art, uh, uh, be that theater, music and dance, but uh, I have a, a sort of a, a, a larger uh, reason for wanting to do the show because I, you know, hopefully uh Hopefully, uh, there's a potential that this show could have a national audience. And, uh, uh, you know, that's why I'm going to showcase national people as well. People who've actually played Indianapolis and who can speak to the vitality of our arts and entertainment scene. And I'd be interested in knowing from both of you, your perspective, you know, um, and, uh, and I'll frame it in terms of your own experiences. So, you know, they used to say, and I think it's still that perception out there. Well, if you were any good, you'd be in Chicago or New York or L.A. You've been to Chicago. You've been to New York. And Casey, I know we've talked about your choices to be in Indianapolis. But tell me about from that from that perspective why indianapolis well 
I hate that perspective uh, quite passionately, actually, because I think that it's so belittling to the people who live here or anywhere and need good art, which is everyone. So the idea that that good art or art at all should be reserved for a coastline is absurd. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, we have ideas we want. We, we, we want to go to a place with our community members and think about uh, an issue and think about a story and just like anybody else does. And so um, I am very, very blessed to have the, the the actors and the artists that I work with. And I I mean, I'm very proud of the work that Indy does. I, I don't claim to have been to like all mid-sized cities in the U.S., far from it. But I will say that the ones I've been to, I think that we absolutely um, should be proud of ourselves. And I, I would, I would even go so far as to say it's, it's, it's sort of a, like a, a, a secret. If you think about it on a national level, the volume and density of theater that happens in this city 100%. is striking. Yeah. Well, isn't it true that a lot of people who've left this market ended up in bigger markets and aren't working? <laughs> Sure. And I'm very grateful for the for the perspective that I have having been in the cities that I went to. But I, I was it's very like, you know, Wizard of Oz cheesiness. But I sort of realized when I was away that I that's when I realized, oh, wait, I do have a home, you know, yeah. um, because I, I specifically Indianapolis more so than Indiana, to be honest. Um, but Indianapolis, I think, is a very cool city. Um, and, and it's it's the artists work every bit as hard and there's a modesty. There's not a bravado. It's about the work and i i couldn't be more proud to be an artist here uh, and casey what about you what's your perspective i actually have been to a lot of the major midwestern cities i used to be a tour actor um so i would drive around and do um, a children's theater play once a week in a different city so i have seen a lot of the country and i think kind of building off of what chris was saying i think it's almost deplorable to to think that you shouldn't want to bring your work to your community because as much as I care about theater, I care about theater on the local Indianapolis level. I'm the most passionate about indie fringe, indie fringe based theater, festival based theater, bringing work specifically to Indianapolis. I had um, a professor of mine, same playwriting professor that was the Williams scholar. Um, he was giving a lecture. And one of the things I wrote down in my notebook that just stayed with me from college on was the purpose of good theater is to entertain, then educate. And if we aren't bringing that thought provoking art and we aren't keeping artists in our communities and in our city and in indie then we're not really doing our job as theater producers. And would you agree that, you know, it's been a losing, not a losing battle, but it's been a struggle for years to convince the powers that be, if you will, that, you know, we're not just a sports destination, that we truly are a cultural destination. People just look around and really see what we're contributing to the economy and to our, uh, uh, if we're a world-class city, how can we be that unless we have, as we do, a world-class symphony, a world-class yes. ballet company, we have yeah. opera, and we have this theater scene. Am I imagining this? But and from my perspective, because I see everything, in my view, it is one of the most exciting, vital theater scenes that I'm aware of in the Midwest, short of Chicago. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is surprising because it's the perfect level of, of, of concentrated and not. I know that there's a lot of theater that happens in Ohio. It seems, from what I understand, it seems to be sort well, of I, I different, different city. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, what I mean is we have exactly the, the location that is prime for, for a good theater hub. And, and I don't know, I, I would be curious at a longer conversation, what creates theater artists? Because, for example, Louisville, like, I, I assume that because of Actors Theater of Louisville, it was a huge theater hub. And yeah. it is not. It is certainly not. We it's have way more. I just heard it's gone by the wayside. I wasn't keeping track. I, Actors Theater, the festival that used to do Humana those. certainly has. I used to cover that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's so sad. Like all through college, I would follow Humana because I, right. I'm a playwright. I wanted to have right. a play there, and and now it's yeah, it's it's, it's less aspirational because oh, is it because of the Humana the sponsorship? Is that so what? I don't know. I maybe you know more than I do. I I don't know yeah. the Actors Theater itself is down, although they have not been producing, so that's very the possible. festival. They're not, but Humana okay. is definitely dead. Yeah. Oh wow, it's very sad. That's a tragedy. Agreed. Yeah, I saw. Uh, when I covered it, I saw some of Tony Kushner's original work, and I think uh, Angels in America. Exactly. Jealous. There. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, uh, but back to uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about your influences. You often, when, whenever I talk with you, Casey, I, and I, I interview both of you, uh, and uh, I recall that. Uh, your teachers, you both had teachers that were really pivotal. And I think I shared with you that my, uh, and I want to shout out to Drs. Cashman, Kenworthy, uh, and uh, Dr. Tolan, who founded Purdue Indiana Theater 50 years ago. And I'm still in touch with my old theater buddies. But they were pivotal in my you know, the, not only the theater training I got, but the life lessons that they taught me, they, they changed my life. Did you have people like that at Hanover? Oh, 100%. And even like back into high school, I mean, I think, again, not with like getting into um, that or anything, but it's no small secret that I, I didn't have necessarily the, the easiest stretch of youth. And so my chosen family and the people that really were... Um, the people that held me together outside of my work were um, my theater mentors and the people that I felt like I owed the best of myself to in theater. And so it becomes my career, my community, um, and also a large part of my identity. And most of that was really just finding um, guidance in the theater mentors that I that I had in life, um, starting at high school level. Um, Terry Fox and, and Michael Boffitt were my teachers back in Cathedral. And then, yeah, my, my professors in Hanover were still great friends. It's cool that they're colleagues. Um, when I directed shows in Bardfest, uh, my acting coach would come in and do my fights for me. So he did the fights for Coriolanus as well as Taming of the Shrew. Um, I spoke with uh, Mark Fiernau, who was my playwriting and William Scholar um, before I was doing Streetcar. Um, and then Paul Paul Hildebrand, another playwriting mentor of mine, wrote the foreword to my published book. So, I mean, it's cool that these people I looked up to that kind of raised me in the art are colleagues at this point. And Chris, who had an impact on you? Well, I would say um, I, I studied at a, a few studios, you know, here and there. Um, and, and I knew that I wanted to, you know, study Meisner, but I didn't trust myself to finish a two-year program. Uh, so I went to a much more concentrated version of it that combined Meisner with viewpoints in Chicago. Um, 
And uh, I was very, very, very lucky to to learn it under Audrey Francis, who is a brilliant, brilliant uh, actor and teacher. And, you know, while I was there, became a Steppenwolf company member and is now co-artistic director of Steppenwolf. And um, so that changed my perspective, not only on acting, but the art and life in general um, about doing what matters and doing it fully. And, um, and then there was a, a professor I had in college and, and I don't even know if he would remember me, but his name is Bruce Bergan. And I just remember that he, he openly shamed all of us a few times because, um, I think it was Andre Watts had been at IU the night before and none of us, um, went to it or even cared. Uh-huh. Um, and, and he just really, um, Andre instilled Watts in us. The pianist. Yeah. 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 Who, who just died. Yeah. Yes. And, um, he, he just really instilled in us like, you can't do this art if you don't understand other arts. Mm-hmm. Mm. And um, and that was really, really valuable to me Good because that point. was before I lived in New York. And I I spent most of my time in New York just being a student of all art and just sponging it all up. So I, I'm very grateful for that, too. Uh, where that, that relates to my next question. Where does your passion derive? Where does it come from? Uh, I Casey, think, let's start with you. Yeah. Oh, all right. Um. For me, it's I, I don't think I'm somebody that is going to like start a family. I don't anticipate having children. And so for me, it's this idea of like what what we leave behind and how we leave the world when we're no longer in it. And so art is a very powerful leave behind art in a way is immortality. It's it's making a piece and leaving a part of yourself. And so I think if I have any viewpoints that I um, want to leave with, you know, my chosen family and my community. Don't forget your kitties. And my kitties. Yes. <laughs> Stanley and Stella named after streetcar. I got my cats right after streetcar. Um, and yeah, I think, I think um, it's just this idea of like, maybe my plays are kind of my babies. So that's what stays behind with me. And mm. it's important that, I, I say how I feel about things and what my opinions are before I'm no longer here. Not necessarily just myself either, but also giving a, a platform for art to do that because of that whole entertain and, and, and educate idea, um, for sure. Chris? I think for, for me, it's about having um, one foot in one area and having another in a completely different area and reckoning the two. I think that's what makes... Uh, an artist, you know, I growing up and, and really adoring my conservative grandmother and growing up gay and, you know, um, ha- just having one identity um, with some people and having another identity with other people and, and sort of understanding where the misunderstandings are and being passionate about them understanding one another better. Um, so I think that's where it started. And I think that's still where it is. What is your vision uh, for the future of your respective theaters, Casey? Um, I think for us, I would like to find a sit-down space or a home. I think eventually I would like to have a building for Catalyst, not to take the model of what Fringe already does for Indianapolis, but I don't necessarily want to be a company based out of another collection of companies. I want to be able to form a collective where we have a a dedicated black box for new work in Indianapolis. So Dave is 
a contractor, one of the things that we talk about um, just kind of down the road, maybe when his kids are older and when I'm a little bit more financially savvy and catalyst to be able to do this, it would be so cool to just allow my friend who is a brilliant contractor and also a, a person that has theater education to design a theater space, kind of an alternative downtown black box garage where we can provide a place for local playwrights because we have a robust writing scene in Indianapolis that I don't think gets enough love either. Um, so just having a space for artists to make as I'm maybe sort of slowing down myself is, is a big goal. Chris? I would very much like to be a part of the machine that um, allows professional artists to thrive in this city. And, um, you know, to, to be able to, to give them not just gigs, but careers and, uh, and on a community level to really be entrenched in the community and, and be a place where people know that they can go to untangle some, 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 some questions that they have with the world. I, I think that would be a mission accomplished. Uh, I'm about to wrap up here, but, you know, I wanted to share with you all. Uh, and with all our listeners that, uh, you know, as I again, as I move forward on the show, I, I'm, I'm trying to learn lessons from people who came before me. And I've sought out the advice of, you know, a lot of professional broadcasters in my circles. And, you know, someone told me something that I I, I will uh, remember as a word of caution and I asked them, so uh, what do you, uh, how is it, the, how do you, how are you most comfortable in an interview? He says, well, you know, and this is a really well-known, well-known entertainer. And he says, well, Tom, the thing about some, some interviewers, they ended up making it all about themselves <laughs> rather than showcasing you and giving you the opportunity. And so, you know, I really am going to struggle with that because my, my, personal and professional life, I have a lot of intersections. You know, I quit worrying about conflict of interest a long time ago, but I do have experiences that are, you know, that that I would like to share on occasion when it's relevant. For instance, I was there when Brian Fonseca uh, gathered together 10 people in the home of a person who eventually became a board member and pitched the idea of the Phoenix Theater. And I was there. It was like, it was like being at the signing of the Declaration of Independence. I knew, I knew that from what I, and I knew that Brian was going to do it. And that was his passion that I heard. You both have that passion. And I, uh, now when I walk into that multi-million dollar Phoenix Theater Cultural Center, I know where it started. And I'm very grateful to have that experience. So again, knowing what possibilities are, I think that you two, the sky's the limit. But Brian also taught me one other thing. Uh, my success is due to all those I surrounded myself with. Surround yourself with good people and sure. they make you yeah. look better. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. Do you agree with that? Of course. Without a doubt. Yeah. Like, I mean, the reason I so desperately wanted to change the name of the theater company, because originally I started in LLC, just my name. It was Casey Ross Productions. that was producing my own plays. And three years in, I was like, we're changing the name to Catalyst because the sum of this company's work is not my name. It is everyone mm -hmm. that works under this umbrella. So you, you both want to see your mission uh, uh, live on after you're gone? 
uh, while I'm here. I mean, I want yeah. the mission to be bigger than me, one hundred percent. Now you know that there's it's code. Uh, there's in the school of philanthropy, or some, where I took some classes, fundraising school. They talk about it's actually in the books. It's called founder's disease. <laughs> Do you really? know anybody, anything about that? It's a term. No. People who like found organizations <laughs> and who have to be, their fingers have to be, you know, plied off of the, uh, sure. you know, when, when it's time to leave. But do you guys feel confident that you're building something that you want to leave for future generations to take over after you're long gone? I, I, I would love that, yes. And I'm actively trying to make that <clears throat> the case. It doesn't mean that I don't have personal projects or personal preferences yeah, or, sure. or honestly, want a career for myself that's yeah. more, you know, sustaining. And, and, but, but the mission is so, I'm so excited about it, which I should be because I came up with yeah, it, sure. you know, that of course, <laughs> of course, I 100% want um, yeah. the artists and the community to, to believe in it and rally around it much more so than any individual, including myself. You know what? I just realized I can't leave without Casey telling me, tell me about your work as a playwright. Whew, um, I don't think that people realize that we have you in our midst, people who I, love the theater. I get that a lot. I actually, I I go to IPC, Indiana Playwriting Circle, that a lot of times people don't even know is here. So shout out to the Indiana Writers Center as well as the Indiana Playwright Circle. Great organizations for writers to have a lasting impact on their career and get sustainable education to produce their work. Super passionate about that organization, but um, I don't do a good job of taking my plays outside of Indiana or outside of Fringe. And so I think that a lot of times people think that Catalyst creates our Fringe shows and I don't really necessarily have some serious uh, work, but I do have a published trilogy of plays that I actually started in college that I produced um, as episodes throughout the Fringe Festival because my concept was that was to mm -hmm. grow up as a writer tangibly that the audience and actors could see. And it's this triptych of plays as they get older, I get older. Um, and so it's, it's topical stuff. It's pushy stuff, but it's approachable stuff. And I you hope you have know my a characters. wicked, wicked <laughs> sense of humor. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you could, I've told you, you could write for television. Easily. I get that all the time. <laughs> you could. I mean, your stuff is funny. Oh, ooh. <laughs> biting. It's more like I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to to take off here and let you guys go for your busy lives. But how can people help you with your organizations, Casey? Um, Catalyst is at a point now. I think after COVID happened, our infrastructure fell apart a little bit. Um, you know, me and Dave are edging towards maybe like experiencing the founder's disease where it's like we are going to have to back up and find other leadership. So we're looking to develop a strong board and we're looking to find a volunteer force, a sponsorship force, and kind of like what Brian did in his living room and say, you know, Catalyst has been here for a decade. Let's put the infrastructure back in place and have not just the founders there, but have some more voices there. So, I mean, if you're interested in joining a local board, um, if you're interested in being a corporate sponsor, if you're interested in volunteering or designing, um, I would love to know you. <laughs> and how about you, Chris? You know, I just, if I could just say one thing to people, I want people to champion a theater. Like I, it can be a theater company. It can be a, a, a physical location. Just become a, a champion and whatever that means, you know, because it's, 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 
introducing this as a lifestyle, as, as theater going as a lifestyle, which, you know, we could have two other podcasts about whether that's, you know, whether that's waned or not over the years. But, but if you are, are vibing off of, off of theater, then share that with other people and be loud and proud about it because that, the, the rest will follow the donations, the, the sponsorships, everything. But if theater matters to this community, everything else will follow. Mm-hmm. And one more thing that our friend Brian used to say. Can you guess what it would be? The Ten Friends? Yeah, during during his curtain speech. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Deb Sargent was sitting behind me. Did you hear her yell out, tell Ten Friends? No, I didn't know she said that. That's so funny. I love that. Shout out to Deb Sargent. I had seen her for a really long time. It was just really worn my heart to see her sitting in your audience. She knows good theater when she sees it, right? I appreciate that. Uh, well, good luck to both of you. I'll be Thank on you. the aisle, and uh, I'm delighted that you uh, that you were on the show. So thank you very thank much you. for the opportunity. Yeah. Okay. Who will take center stage on the podcast next? Your seat on the aisle with Tom Alvarez awaits. Follow Tom on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and make sure to visit TomAlvarez.studio. Watch Tom every other Thursday on Lifestyle Live on Wish TV. And make sure to listen every week here on the All Indiana Podcast Network.